What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by artofmagic.com. My guest for this episode is the legend Paul Gertner. Uh, I found him, basically, in Las Vegas. It's kind of funny. I had no idea he was there. I went and saw Penn & Teller's show, and as many of you may know, if you fool Penn & Teller on their show Fool Us, you get to perform at their show at the Rio. So I went and saw the show, and Paul Gertner closed it out. He closed out their show. So I walked up to him after the show was over, and I said, Hi, I'm Elliot Terrell. You fooled me very badly. I have this podcast. Do you want to be on it? And he said, Sure. (laughs) He was very gracious. He said, Why don't we do it tomorrow morning? So I just kind of happened into this, this episode, and it was amazing. It's funny, I don't have many magic books sitting on my desk, but his book, Steel and Silver, is one of them. So this was awesome. I'm a huge fan. This was absolutely lovely. He needed to be somewhere at a certain time, so it's kind of a short episode, which is fine. He told me a bunch of stories about meeting Vernon and working with Eddie Fector at the Forks Hotel, performing on Carson's Tonight Show. Um, we talk about Foolis a little bit. We talk about modern technology and magic and and how you're supposed to get good at routines. It's a really great episode, chock full of great information and fun stories. Of course, you can follow us on all the social media channels, Facebook and Instagram.com slash MagicalThinkingPodcast. That's right, we have an Instagram now. Give us a follow. Facebook.com slash Mystery and Instagram.com slash TreasuryOfWonder to follow Art of Magic. Uh, make sure to sign up for the newsletters, and email me anytime you want to at podcast at artofmagic.com. For any reason you want to feel like talking, just shoot me an email. As long as it's about the podcast. I'm not starting a service or anything. <laughs> anyway, this is a great episode. I do want to take a second to mention that we are soon going to be releasing some very exciting David Williamson stuff. His DVDs, Slight of Dave and Dave 2 are going to be up on the site. Portions of them, not everything, but portions of them are going to be up on the site soon. Anyway, enough rambling. Uh, This is Paul Gertner. You're going to love it. Let me know what you think. Enjoy. Well, I know you don't have too much time, so Mm -hmm. um, I I wrote down a couple things that I I wanted to ask you about. Uh, First was you've done amazing magic for a very long time. I don't, I don't know really how to phrase this exactly, mm-hmm. but I saw you last night perform on Penn and Teller stage here at the Rio. Um, what, how was that like exciting and fulfilling? And was that something that? Yeah, no, it was, it was fun. I mean, it was, you know, I, I not something I ever expected, you know, to be doing on, you know, a big Las Vegas stage because uh, I'm a close-up guy for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, no, that was very fulfilling, very fun to, to get a chance to do it. And uh, it wasn't as uh, it wasn't as uh, stressful as doing the show, I uh-huh. have to say that. It was, you know, I was kind of much more relaxed and easier, and I could kind of, I could do the trick the way I wanted without any, you know, when doing the show, you get director's input, and they want you to do certain things in certain ways for the camera. Sure. So this time I could just do it for myself and, way I have been doing it for 40 years <laughs> yeah. it was great I it fooled me very badly oh good it was awesome yeah yeah, yeah. Very cool yeah yeah and it, it I, I got a chance to connect with them after the show and then that was the and show them the work on the trick and 
and it did fold them very badly. <laughs> not a clue, and they were they were really intrigued by the the method. So that was actually probably the most fun of the whole experience of doing the show was last night showing them the, the method. Because yeah. you know, one magician showing the other magician a method that they think is kind of cool, and kind of, and the other magician who you know like Teller and Penn who respect. Uh, creativity and uh, you know and then say brilliant construction you know just who can understand what went into you know what I did Setting and, up and uh, yeah. you know so that was that was the most fun yeah, that's it so was a cool, blast yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> and, awesome yeah um, well great I'm, I'm I'm glad that that's that was so fulfilling I I, I can't even imagine what that would be like so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's awesome um, it was fun so you said that you're mostly a close-up guy, and I think everyone listening probably knows you and knows your book. Mm-hmm. I've got your book on my shelf at home. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know I love your cups of balls routine and basically your whole physic act. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How how do you go about choosing? So this question has a couple different parts. How do you go about choosing the material that you do, sort of like? Um, the cups and balls and the hourglass and things like that. And mm-hmm. then how do you then choose material for your trade show work and your mm-hmm. corporate events? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the magic with the magicians or the physimact or things like that, I mean, my theory and goal of magic has always been, I mean, if you're going to, you know, be with an audience for a short length of time, you know, 10 minutes at physim or, or you know, the 20 minutes at a, you know, magic castle performance or something like that, I want them entertained. You know, everyone always says, oh, we're entertainers and so on. But I want them to know they saw a magician. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they can be entertained by many, many different art forms. But there's, but as far as like with close-up magic, it's an art form that has the ability to literally have their jaws drop, them turn into little kids for a moment, and they just say, I, I, I not what happened, you know? And it's an, it creates an experience they do not get with any other art form, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, juggling, it's cool, but you see what's going on, and and uh, ventriloquism or anything like that. But close-up magic, boy, you can blow their minds. And that's always been my goal, is to find magic that's very, very strong. And that's like when the FISM Act, you know, it was, you know, I was going to do the uh, That's Ridiculous with the coins, which is a very strong coin routine. Boom, it has a punch to it. Um, and the cups obviously has a nice punch to it and so on like that a little different but there's still productions at the end but then I added the ring on the hourglass just for the purpose of uh, uh, a, a stronger hit and then it also kind of it sort of uh, bookmarked bookended the, the act I started with the hourglass little wee small hourglass it changed big everyone thought ah you know he did a nice cute trick with the hourglass and he's using it to time the trick so it had a reason for being there. Sure. But then at the end, it came full circle where that hourglass became an important part of the trick at the end, which they didn't see coming. Um, so, you know, basically strength of effect in terms of when I'm choosing material for any performance, any performance. And uh, and then and in terms of trade shows, I sort of have a large repertoire of magic and uh I never added, you know, up the hours, but a lot. There's there's a lot of fairly well routine ideas and routines. And what I do with the trade shows is I, I look at what they're trying to get across. And for the most part, it's the same. Uh, they're saving people money. They're saving people time. They're doing something more efficiently. They're, you know, uh, showing a full range of 
solutions, products, and so on like that. And so then I kind of pick and choose routines that will help get across those certain concepts. And, uh, you know, I know that the, the bill, money, boom, there's something with money. Uh, productivity or growing something, value can a business grow, boom, cups and balls can fit into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll choose the routines like that. But I do sometimes with the trade shows is I sort of have a set routine and, and that sort of is I, I like to use unshuffled all mm-hmm. the time uh, that's always in because it has a company name on it or a product uh, I'll do the cups and balls because that's a really good opener it's down on the table people have to come in close to see it yet they can hear it yes. okay there's a sound element so I can start with that usually the cups it used to be I ended with the cups many years ago but about 20 years ago I realized you know, I was getting a crowd of 100 people. I'd do the cups and balls at the end because that was my big finish. And yet what would happen is I would lose on the edge because they couldn't see. Mm-hmm. So I swept, flipped it and said, okay, fine, that's that's the opener. And and then I'll often close um, uh, either with a cardinal wallet a version. I do a cardinal wallet with a $100 bill, changes to 100 and so on. And, uh, and those are the three base tricks that, you know, if it's a brand new client, chances are I'm going to find a way to make those work because they're pretty strong. And then I've got, you know, probably about 10 other what I call pitch tricks that I can slot in, you know, and uh, depending on what they want. Sure. Do you incorporate technology at all into your magic when you're doing yeah. shows and trade work? Yeah. I mean, I, I have, I, a while back, about a, year, a couple of years ago, I put a whole new show called Brain Drops. Mm-hmm. And Brain Drops is all done with iPads and iPhones. It's a little more of a, more of a mind-reading slant to it. Um, and it's sort of about uh, how deception and about how people believe what they want to believe. Uh, and uh, they... Uh, which makes me think of now the political season. It's, <laughs> it's, it would be a really interesting time to do the show because it's it's really out there. It, it's it's right there with that kind of messaging. Sure, uh, I'd probably have to tweak it a little bit. <laughs> but anyway, um, but, but yeah, the brain drops is using iPads and iPhones, and uh, it came up with some weird stuff where you know I hold an iPad up to my face and and I let it go, and the image of my face appears on the screen and. I start singing. There's one routine called Blind Love where, well, it used to be Blind Love because that was, I initially did it with a different tune, but now I do it with a Willie Nelson tune, You're Always on My Mind. So essentially my voice becomes Willie Nelson as I sing this song on the iPad while uh-huh. I'm performing and I can't see anything. I'm, I'm totally blind with the trick, so it's all in time to the music. And oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's, 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 on, it's online. If, you, if, if people go on and search uh, uh, just uh, my, web, my YouTube site, uh, just uh, you'll you'll see that video. It's very cool. It's got some nobody new, sings new, that song like him, do they? Yeah, no, no, no. It's great. It's <laughs> so, and it's a little in, in the routine I do. There's a little bit of a you know a tribute to my wife, who her her image appears on the screen, and oh, wow. and it's sort of there's a little subtext about you know magician on the road. You know, I'm on the road a little longer, honey. I'll be home soon. You know, yeah. and and uh, and then it's a lovely. I, I love it, but uh, it'd be. I want. I don't know if it would work on a pen and teller fool us you know certain elements would fold them but the, yeah sure so. what do you what do you think about how, how do you think the audience is experiencing the technology in a magic trick or in a magic act it's it's um different ways i mean i i've had some people in shows think that uh you know that the the ipad was doing all the magic or all the trick and you know i mean if i hand out an ipad and it has a pair of dice on it 
and I say just spin the dice, roll the dice by swiping your finger, and what number came up? So they are assuming many times I've got to go to great lengths to prove to them that this is really random. Okay, I'm not controlling the dice. That's an app that's just doing a random roll of the dice, and it, you know, which changes the outcome of the trick I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I think that they, they give the, the technology a little more credit for the the magic. It's a little bit of a balance there, you know, about uh, yeah. about letting them think that okay, fine, I'm not really doing anything. It's an app. It's just oh, it's an app. Oh, okay, fine. Good. And they that is the solution to them. That is the answer. You yeah. Know? And if they can say, oh, well, you know, that's just an app. But that doesn't tell them how the trick is done. It's still a really good trick, you know. Yeah. If it's a think a card trick on an app or something like that, so I use it. I mean, I there's the one app um, that I'll use where there I can you know you sort of put an iPad down face down and and I will point to four different products in the trade show booth. You know, or can actually do it up to eight uh, for those that know how the app works. And uh, and you know I have them randomly point to one product and then I turn over the iPad and it. That's the one they pointed to, and and my you know tie-in is that we understand what's on the mind of the spectator. You know, we we know what you're thinking, we know what your concerns are, we know what your, your needs are in your business, and we have met those needs with X Y Z product that you just pointed to, and and so on. It's you know, but so the magic and the technology can kind of if you work it together in an interesting manner and in in a intellectual manner and not in just a, a blatant you know the, the the iPad does the trick you know it's not a one to one yeah no no there's got to be an a, there's got to be an intelligent there's got to be a reason for it to exist i mean i'm really big on that is it, you know why am i using technology in this trick do, do i give them a reason or if i don't give them a reason they'll come to a conclusion sure. and the conclusion is he needs the, the iPad for the trick. If I can give them a reason for it to exist, then it just becomes an adjunct, and uh, and I can use the amazing technology, the ability to pick up the iPad in one direction or another, and the accelerometer or whatever they call that changes the outcome of what's on the screen. Maybe yes, I can use that, but I can't have that be so blatant that that's where they go for the answer. Sure. You know? mm-hmm. But uh, but I love. I mean, I love incorporating some of the new new stuff. And uh, I mean, when I saw. When I saw an iPad the first time, I mean, June of the year it came out, it was about, it had come out in February or whatever, March. 2010? Uh, yeah, somewhere about, about nine, maybe, was it nine or ten? And uh, it must have been nine, earlier than ten, because ten I always started having, I had some work on it already, Okay. I think. But but whatever year that iPad came out, and a friend of mine showed me it, and I didn't want to go look at them initially. I had heard, you know, this iPad thing, I didn't want to look at it because number one, I knew that if I looked at it, I was going to have to buy it, and <laughs> you know, another thousand dollar machine or whatever it was. And and I said, you know, I, I have my laptop, and I'm a Mac guy. I mean, I've, I've had oh, more Mac too. computers than than I had the first Apple II that came out. You know, and, and I've like one time I had it up. I mean, I might have, I have bought over you know forty different Macs over the years. Wow, little ones, but all the different ones and so on. And uh, and I knew I was going to have to buy this thing. But I went to a guy's house, a friend's house, and uh, my wife's friend, and he was a doctor, and he, oh, have you seen the iPad? Have you, uh, yeah, you know, I heard, but have you played with it? He put it in my hands and showed me just, and, and I went out that night and bought one. Because, <laughs> and and uh, because I looked at it, and I said to Kathy, I says, if I were to have gone into a magic shop, okay, and the magic shop guy behind the counter says, let me show you something, boom and set this device, whatever, you didn't know what it was, set this iPad thing on front of me and said, 
it can play video it can put graphic images it can do this it could do and showed me what this thing could do I would say how much and if he said five thousand dollars I would say that's a good buy you know I mean that would be a great buy for whatever this thing is if we didn't know it was an iPad you know it was a magic prop yeah you know because of what it could do and the potential to have something on the screen or reach in the screen or to change things to even just show the video yeah it was a magical device so so yeah so I grabbed one and eventually you know very quickly started working on ideas with it yeah yeah it fabulous you know interesting thing that's really cool. I totally agree about giving something its context, mm-hmm. you know, providing a reason for something to exist. And I think that that's a lot of, or I think that's a big part of what magicians are lacking when they're creating their own material and building their own acts. Is that, right. You know, moving from trick to trick in a routine, there's no reason, there's no logic. It's just, here's a trick, here's a trick. Right. But but I think a lot of that has to do with maturity mm-hmm. and uh, and and uh, years you know of, of doing something and, and having life experiences and and so on like that to be able to add those other dimensions and mm-hmm. that depth to it. Whereas uh, you know I mean I'm thinking of myself back as a young 16 year old kid learning magic and so on like that. Um, I'm sure there was you know I, I I'm sure I was in that phase too of the quick trickers although not exactly because there was not the internet at that time there was no YouTube uh-huh. and and the, the, the I mean part of the problem I think is that somebody learning magic in their teens or whatever they see examples on the internet of somebody who's doing just that you know, boom look visual image you watch me wow, wow, reaction and so on and and to them that's just because they are seeing somebody do that on the internet and they look at the little counter and it has 100,000 views, that justifies that what they're seeing is good. Yeah. And they will then begin to copy that as the approach. You know? Whereas in my case of learning magic, what I saw was good was uh, you know, a friend of mine who had, uh, at age 16, had a library of all the books by Vernon and all the, you know, everything from Alex Elmsley's information and Marlowe and, and uh, the Paul Bear's Review and Hierophant and stuff. Really good magic that was full of routines that were thought out, that sure. were well designed, that were, you know, interesting. And so that's what I saw. And then, you know, Harry Lorraine's material, The Gambler versus the Magician. You know, there was a story there. And I could understand the power of that, learning a trick that, that wasn't just, you know, oh, look, there's an ace. Look, it's a king. Boom. No, he, he put a story to the gambler and the magician fighting against each other and one one and the, the conflict drama and so on. So you kind of, I learned that, you know, early on. And I'm not so sure all the young guys are learning that you know and that they're able to do it they will eventually figure it out sure. you know because I think uh, the, the one quick visual effect you get tired that, of doing it yeah, yeah right, yeah. right it's right, not you know, fulfilling anymore it's, it's not it's not it's kind of yeah it's, it's, I agree it's yeah. not, not as fulfilling it's, it's doing some same thing over and over and uh, yeah but uh, we well, said it uh, you know just having the years, putting in the time, doing the hours. It comes back to living a life that's worth commenting on, basically. You know, that's what a, a bunch of stand-ups used to say, or continue to say, is that, you know, you have to live a life worth commenting on, otherwise you won't be relatable to your audience. Right, right. No, no, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. You mentioned when you were starting out. When when did you start working with Eddie at the Forks Hotel? Mm. 
I must have been, um, uh, that was back in uh, 71. I met Eddie in 71, so I, I would have been 18 at the time. Uh, and uh, yeah, I would have been about 18 years old. Uh, and I went to a magic convention uh, and in Buffalo, New York, mm -hmm. and one night we went over to this thing called the Forks Hotel, and I saw Eddie Fector and Jay Marshall was there. A number of people from the convention came, and uh, I didn't really meet Eddie at that time. That time, but I saw him. I was exposed to him, and I this you know amazing <laughs> magic. He was also on the bill at the convention in Buffalo, New York that year. And then uh, somebody told me they said, well, you know, there's going to be a close-up convention next. April here and it's just they just started doing it it's like the second or third one coming up and they just you know 50 people usually show up and so, so that was on the list I was going there one way or another and so the next April I uh, they weren't they didn't do invitations at that time it was just like you know a few people have heard about it if you wanted to come come on up and uh, I was supposed to drive there uh, with my car but my car broke down we had an old car it broke down and uh, I wasn't going to get there, so I got there though. I hitchhiked, you know, I hitched from Pittsburgh and uh, to Buffalo, and uh, wow. with my magic case <laughs> and sides. And I had no room, nowhere to stay or anything. I, you know, I'm just going. That's all. I'm going to get there, and we'll figure it out afterwards. And so I got there, and I walked, you know, walked in, and and there were these. There was a convention was going on, and and somehow or another, you know, I mean, I didn't know anybody, but you know, somebody. Where are you from? You know, they were nice, and I did a few things for them, and all of a sudden it was like, you know, I was doing some nice coin stuff that they hadn't seen because I, I didn't, I wasn't around magic much. But they immediately brought me over to Eddie and sat me down in front of him and says, show him some stuff, you know, and they, I did. And uh, I didn't do the cups yet or anything like that, you know, for him. And uh, and he was pretty impressed, and, and, and then I... They just said, do you do anything other than coins and the cards? I write the little cups and balls routine. I did that, and so that convention. Then uh, they immediately put. I would close that sh convention. I was on the final night. Wow! Act. I was it. Wow! You know, we're putting the kid, the Gertner kid. The, so at eighteen, you, know, you already had. I had the, the, cups. the cups routine. Yeah, yeah. I had the wow. cups. Yeah, I started those about sixteen, and uh, so so I did the cups and closed the that convention. And it was it was very that probably in terms of magic moments was the most magical one I've had because I was a you know I was a kid from Pittsburgh. I had no clue that I was doing anything that would impress anyone because uh, I was only exposed to my little group in Pittsburgh and my friend Ron Slanina. And uh, and they made a fuss about me, you know, and it made me feel really, really good. Yeah. I mean, really good. Uh, like like maybe maybe I could be a magician, you know. <laughs> they had never really considered that, but you know, when you know some people are saying you're really good, you know, this is this. and yeah, it was a magical moment. And I mean, I still remember standing, you know, in the little. Then somebody found a place for me to stay. That where are you staying? I'm, the hotel room so they were real nice and stayed with a guy named Roy Cotty from Canada and uh, and Dave Saunders they had a hotel room already and they slept together on the same bed so I could have my bed they gave me a bed and uh, yeah yeah so it was very magical that's amazing yeah, what yeah, an so, incredible story yeah, and they you know they, they sort of tell that story to this day about when I hitchhiked in the rain to Buffalo and I had long hair and I <laughs> it was in the rain I came in like a drowned rat you know with some, with my little case and that's amazing so it was fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. how did you how did that even come to be like what what was it that pushed you to do this creative yeah I, I mean no there's no one 
first of all, there's no one that does your cups routine. I've mm. never seen no. anyone even no. attempt to do it. And no one has ever done something in, that I've been witness to that's been as like groundbreaking of a classic effect mm-hmm. and taking so that and stepping then, away from yeah it. yeah and and just adding another yeah I mean amazing the, the the reason it came about was just more out of sheer necessity I mean I had bought an old set of cups at the local IBM meeting there were auction you know here's some cups oh cups and balls I'd love to set of cups and balls couldn't afford those but uh, so I for five dollars I got a beat up old set that was rusty looking and so on but I had a set of cups you know and uh, and now I needed balls and uh, I didn't know I honestly didn't know much about until I met Ron that there were magic shops that you could go and buy there was one in Pittsburgh and he introduced me to that but probably you know number one I didn't have any money to buy any of the stuff to begin with so uh, it was moot point but uh, so even just knowing that they made Nick balls that wasn't there it was everything everything I did was initially was just handmade like I I remember reading about a magician tucking a silk in an egg and boom an egg now I didn't know and this was before I was met Ron when I was just probably 13 14 I made an egg out of soap okay my grandmother had lye soap (laughs) a piece of lye soap carved an egg out of it and then basically proceeded to hollow it out and made a an egg for out of lye soap or silk to egg, but I didn't know that you could go and buy that, so therefore I constructed it. Uh, same thing sort of with the cups, so I had to make balls. Well, what you make balls out of, tinfoil was a good idea, you know, so I rolled tinfoil, and I would use the tinfoil balls for my cups and balls, you know, at 16 or whatever. And um, But then I found in my dad's toolbox down in the basement, he was a steel worker and, you know, chunks of steel and iron in his little toolbox or something. I found ball bearings and pretty much the same ones I use today. And they looked about the same size as my tinfoil balls. So I just replaced them with that. And as soon as I started doing it, I, you know, I realized that the sound that to someone else might have been a problem immediately to me looked like an asset mm-hmm. uh, because I could say, look, you can hear it. And I yeah. figured out how to shake it and hear it, and it wasn't there. And so I wasn't aware that kind of the sound was unique in what I was doing. I was just doing it because the steel ball and the metal cup made a sound, and I figured how I could control the sound and so on like that. So it wasn't intentional initially to say, I will do cups and balls with steel barbarians and magicians will be surprised because of the sound element. No, sure. it was not until I did it realistically at Factors where people started saying, man, how are you, thinking? well, I don't know, you just do it, <laughs> you know, you just, how are you loading the big balls without any noise? Well, I don't know, that, you know, that's just part of doing it. And, and I realized, they said, well, did you put rubber coating in it? Well, no, but why would you, and then I realized, oh, okay, there is another element here to, to taking it to another level. Yeah, and uh, but so it was all kind of on some level mistake, not mistakes, but just kind of uh, situational, you know. Wow. And uh, and then it kind of developed, and then they, yeah. How they, did the routine develop? The routine developed in an interesting manner because at the end of the routine, normally you know I would boom boom the trick, and I would say and and over here I have a big one, and it would be a you know one and a half inch one, and over here another big one, another one and a half inch one, and underneath the middle cup is the biggest one of all, and I would lift it up, and there would be a big two inch ball under the cup, and I would load something else under the cup, and I say, oh, that's not the biggest, uh, no, 
yeah, I would say and underneath the middle cup is the biggest one of all, and I would lift it up, and there would be a numeric, there would be a number one made of steel. Okay, I had a number one made of steel, and um, and it would say, and there's the biggest one of all, and it would be a numeral one out of steel. And uh, I don't know where where that came from. It might have been maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure why I did the number one thing. Somehow or another, I saw a number one somewhere, and I had a company. I was working at a, a little part-time job at a Westinghouse hanging art pictures, and the guy in the shop saw me do the cups and balls, and he says, I can make you one in steel, because I was using one out of plastic or something. Uh-huh. So anyway, he made me a steel number one, and I did a routine like that for, for a few years. In fact, I probably did it like that at Vector's number one. And uh, because then when I was 21, I went out to the Magic Castle and uh, I met Vernon. And they had me, I did the routine for Vernon. And Vernon loved the routine. Uh, he had two critiques of the routine though. He says, number one, he says, when you pick up the balls, the invisible balls from the two end cups, you hold your fingers like this and you say I have two balls you know I'll take the balls invisibly from the end cups and toss them in the middle he said you hold your fingers like this and he held his fingers about an inch apart he said the balls aren't that big the balls are this big okay (laughs) they're three quarters of an inch I I was one quarter of an inch too big in my fingers apart he says so he says you got to hold the right you know that's kind of detail but you know that I thought I was thought that was fascinating oh really I made a mistake I did this not this yeah yeah and that was the one and the other thing he said was in the ending he says it's a beautiful routine and you do it beautifully he says but you're ruining it with a cheap end cheap gag at the end he says you lift that up and in number one it's a cheap gag you don't ruin a beautiful piece of magic with a cheap gag and I was like, oh boy, <laughs> I'm, getting burned. I'm getting reamed out by Vernon here. He says, what you need to do is, he says, you need to get a ball that's about this big. And he showed and held his hands up about a three-inch diameter. He says, that'll make it about a half an inch bigger than the mouth of the cup. He says, and then you produce the blast ball. You just, boom, and he just demonstrated. He says, your last ball, boom, comes out. And then it doesn't fit back in the cup. That's the ending for that trick. Okay. So now I'm out of the castle for another four weeks because I was visiting my uncle out there and he gave me an old car to run to the castle and back. <laughs> I didn't want to go back to the castle and have Vernon say, so are you, did you fix the trick yet? Or <laughs> so I had to find a steel ball in LA and I went looking around and you didn't find steel balls and that, that wasn't going to happen so I found a shot put. Now shot puts not three inches. Shot puts closer to more like four, four and a half, or five. I don't know what they are, but they're they're bigger. It's a big ball. Yeah, it's a good sized ball, big piece of iron, and I ground it down. Oh <laughs> okay. my gosh! Yeah, it's been a week. <laughs> <laughs> I got a file and in my uncle's old workshop. I ground this sucker down, and when I ground it, it started to get shiny. And I ground it down, and I only got about, I'd say I got about an inch off of the thing all around. Yeah, I mean, I might have got it to like about four inches or so, I'm like that. And, uh, but it was, it was at least a shiny looking ball that was not as, uh, it wasn't number one. So it was the castle and kind of hung near Vernon. And so, yeah, you know, and he says, oh, he says, yeah, so, yeah, think about what I told you about your trick or how, you know, your work. I said, well, I can I show it to you again? So I did the routine for him and with a big ball, boom, ending. And he looked at it. He says, 
Yeah, that's much better. That's what I'm talking about. But that that ball, it's about this much too big. <laughs> it's, it's gotta go down another half inch. <laughs> he didn't care where I got it. He, he just says, that ball, it's still too big. So just the same way I was holding my fingers apart, the ball was still too big. <laughs> and eventually then I got back and found where I could buy a three-inch chrome steel ball. That's fascinating so, that yeah. he was so... But so Vernon gave me, I mean, specific. I always got a kick out of that. I mean, Vernon literally gave me the ending to the Cups and Balls, and I do it exactly the way he taught me, told me when I was back in 1921. I put that in, and it stayed in there, and I never changed it. The only way I'd change it is if I were doing it on the Penn and Teller show, and I had to do something different. (laughs) (laughs) That's a beautiful routine. Um, that's that that's amazing but you worked did you did work at the forks hotel yes i well see at the forks you didn't really work there they had a few people like carl norman performed well i should clarify that i did i mean magicians performed there and i performed there uh yes uh, you know i was never like I never was hired. Sure. And never paid. Carl Norman was the only person. He was a bartender. He was oh, okay. you know, paid to be there and so on. Okay. But the magicians that came in and performed at the tables, they just you just came in and you did your thing. So what I would do is as often as I could, and maybe it was maybe once every two months or so on like that, I would uh, either have access to a car or have a car or whatever. And from the time I was, you know, like 19, 20, 21, 22, I would drive up to Buffalo uh, stay at Eddie's house. At his stay at, at the bar. At, he had uh, his living quarters was above the bar, and uh, it was like an old. It was like an old rooming house. You know, at one time they were small rooms that you know this cheek to wall was sort of at a crossroads of Broadway and Union Road. So this bar, this Forks Hotel, was literally at some point a hotel. You know, guys on the coming through would. Stales guys would stay there. Well, I would stay in one of the bedrooms, and they'd put me up there. Mike Skinner, you know, always stayed there. I was staying using the same room as Mike would stay when he was there, and um, and then and then I would spend a you know like a three or four days if I could, and uh, I'd each night go and work at the tables, performing around at the tables, or and quite honestly watching Eddie. It's just I I would watch watch over and over and over just to understand what he was doing because. You know, I mean, I remember saying to him at one point, I says, I, I, I got the techniques and the magic. I, I got all that down, but how, you know, how are you doing this people thing? This, you know, you're performing. And he says, it, it, it takes time, Paul. He says, it, it'll come to you, you know, the, the ability to relate to the audience and so on like that. Because I couldn't do that at that point. You know, I mean, I was, I could see the difference. I could see the audience still going, wow, yeah, you're amazing, you're amazing. But I could see the audience going to Eddie. The, yeah, they loved him. They yeah. just they fell in love with him. He's like a big teddy bear, and and I was you know that's what I was asking is how do you make the audience like you? You know I mean they like my magic. I know they like my magic, but how do you make them like you? You know as a performer and so on, and um, and I could see that difference. And he you know but I was learning it from him by watching him. Sure. You know? He says time. He says it takes time. It's just a matter of doing it over and and and, and learning that. But uh, and he was right. It just took time. Just took time to sort of. Yeah, yeah, learn how to connect or? with the audience. Yeah, yeah, learn how to connect with the audience, and uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, take it not just as not not just be showing them tricks, but sort of be sharing, showing them a little bit of you too, you know. And, and I think, on some level, until you get older, you don't have a whole lot of you to show you, you yeah. know, people and uh, so on like that, you know, stories or experiences and so on. Sure. You know, you know. I th- I try to think of it as like 
you're creating an experience that you're all a part of. You're not just a magic mm-hmm. person doing magic to people. Yeah. yeah. You're a part of the group and you're creating this experience that you're all there right. for. Right. Um, I think that's another thing that's super important. Mm-hmm. Is there, for, for guys like trying to get really good, there's not, where, where would you recommend people go to bang out material to really work on it because that's a hard one because uh, for me because I you know I mean a lot of uh, I didn't have a whole lot of places to perform and uh, and I also had this hang up about not wanting to do something until I could do it well yes how do you learn how to do it well unless you're like performing so I would do it along you know I practice in the room so I you know I'm when I worked on new routines my I sort of had this number of 300 in head and I, I needed to routine about 300 times in rehearsals before I feel that I'm at the level where I can sort of start to do it for audiences and so, so I did. I did a lot of practice, an awful lot of practice. Now, I guess it's not exactly true to say I didn't have an outlet. I had a family, a very large family. I had a network. Uh, I have fifty-four first cousins. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh, right. That's a lot. <laughs> that's that's, that's a lot. A lot. <laughs> and I had seven brothers and sisters. Okay. okay. So I kind of had a built-in audience mm-hmm. to test all of my material. And with fifty-four first cousins. Uh, there was always a graduation, a funeral, a uh, wedding happening, a communion, first communion happening with a large Irish Catholic family. Um, there was always, we were always going, I seemed like every week to someone's house to visit or someone like that. So I, that's where I practiced. I mean, uh, and I always had new stuff I was working on, but I always had to build an audience to test it on. Um, you know, I did do some work at restaurants a little bit early on, um, and uh, but a lot of I, mainly, I jumped kind of. I, the trade show started when I was about twenty years old, and they they clicked pretty quickly. So right from there, the trade shows. You know, I, I mean, I might like I'm doing a new routine at this trade show here, and um, I'll do that routine probably twenty times a day in the next couple of days, uh, and it gets. We work through it pretty quickly, and uh, you find out what's working, what's not, and so on like that. Nowadays, it's you know, I mean, it's I, I see. I guess people put things on the internet and try to practice, but that's not really it's not an audience. Same. It's not the yeah. same doing it for a camera versus versus people. And then I see people doing things on the street, which is it's still tricky. I mean, you know, <laughs> can I show you a trick? Go to hell! <laughs> what are you talking about? Do me a trick, but. Um, so I guess, you know, I'm not sure where the venues are today. I mean, I'm sort of out of touch with where do people, where does somebody get good at today? Uh, you know, whether if they do busking on the streets or sure. if they, uh, you know, uh, practice in restaurants. I'd I, I love to know. I mean, I don't. I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I just, I I just don't wondered, where. yeah. Because um, I don't, I don't know either, mm-hmm. and I that's an, that's something that I would like to know. Because I'm I'm working on some stuff right now. Like you mentioned earlier, you don't you didn't really want to do something until it was good, but you couldn't really get good yeah, at good it unless you were doing it to, right? to, to do it. You know. And so that's kind of the battle that it I'm fighting a, for myself right yeah, now. It is. It is. is. Where do I go and be bad at this thing until right. it's really good? Right. I mean, um, we did have a thing. We did have, and, and this would probably be an angle. Um, there was a place, a bar in Pittsburgh uh, when I was, you know, my 19, 20, 21, 22, whatever, uh, called the Candle Glow Inn. 
And, you know, it was just a local bar owned by somebody and they had an extra room and so on. And somebody, one of the more entrepreneurial magicians, uh, older guys, you know, knew the bar owner and, and struck a deal with them and says, hey, you know, how about Wednesdays we do a magic night here? You know, it's just, you know, we weren't charging any money. We were just, it was an outlet. And the magicians would come and we'll, you know, the close-up guys will do some magic at the tables and we'll do some stuff on stage. Uh, the stage guy will do a little 40-minute show and and uh, and they went with, they went for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that, quite honestly, was kind of the outlet uh, for for quite a few years. It would you know, every Wednesday night, you know, the candle glow in. You know, we were if we were, and I was obviously in town. I wasn't traveling as much then. Um, you know, we'd be there doing, you know, some close up at the tables and so. On. But so yeah, finding that place is important. I mean, right now I moved to Boston, and uh, I guess I should say ba- Boston. Boston. Yeah, Boston. <laughs> Uh, I moved to Boston to be near um, some granddaughters up there, and we moved from Pittsburgh about a year ago. And and down the street from our apartment, we're in the uh, second level of a triple-decker, and right down the street is the, the ocean and, and a little yacht club. And uh, so we joined the Winthrop, uh, or not the Winthrop Yacht Club, the Cottage Park Yacht Club. And uh, it's more of like a sailing club, and so on. There's tons of them up. They're all, you know, over. It's not real pretentious or anything, but they have a little bar. They have a, I forget what they call their bar, some nautical name, but uh, it's a bar and restaurant, and it's very similar to Eddie Fector's old place, and so it's perfect because I'm now, you know, I've done a few shows in the club and you know sold some tickets and you know they know who I am they now seen the Penn and Teller thing now I'm a little mini celebrity there so at least now they realize that he's good because he's been on TV because up until that time they weren't so sure I'm sure and this I, weird old guy doing card tricks yeah this is this weird old guy doing card tricks and, and they go and I go in the bar and now anytime I want to work on new material that's where I'll, I'll, go, I'll go up there and say hey you know I got something oh yeah come on show us and it's really it's nice it's comforting and uh, and my wife can say hey you know just go down to the club and do because I you know she, you're, you need to perform you know if I'm sitting home for a week and and uh, I'll drive her crazy with trying to show, well, how about this thing because I, I tend to I've had some creative spurts in the last 10 years or whatever I don't know why it, it happened that way but you know with the brain drops and just I think it was a, when the economy took a dip a while back it was like what do I do here I don't have, I've got all this extra time because I'm not out on the road as many shows and uh, that's I started creating stuff and then uh, and then I spent some time in China with Richard Turner and uh, seven weeks together with him and that was fun learned some stuff that's you know, worked into the shows now and yeah, some new material. But uh, how do you translate close up to stage, or do you well, not? Because uh, I'm a close up guy yeah. and I want to start doing stuff. Yeah, I mean, on well, I'd love to. I would love to do here what we did over in China, which was I was working uh, in theaters that were 2,500 seats. Wow, most of them were filled. Um, there were four people on the show. Uh, Richard Turner and I were the close-up guys, and then uh, Mark Chris Hart was on uh, doing a stage, his stage set, and uh, and Mike Miller, who kind of organized the tour with us, did more of a stage set for the family, bringing some kids on stage. But what they did for me and Richard is we worked at a table, and they had a camera guy in front of us who uh, we did 33 shows in 31 cities over the course of seven weeks. And they would have a screen, and I'm not talking little screen. I'm talking big screen, 
we measured it at one point. I says, Richard, you know, this one's the biggest one we've had. It's 70 foot across. Holy it's cow. Really, yeah, I, said, I took Richard over, and he's, Richard is blind. And, 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 and so I, I, we paced it off. And he said, damn, you're right. He said, really? This is the end of it? Here's it. Yeah. 70 foot, Richard. You know, I says, your cards are like this big. You know? Oh, my gosh. And so that's what they would do. But the beauty was, uh, you know, we had a camera guy shooting close up of us there was also another guy out in the audience with another camera shooting wide shot Mm -hmm. showing me and richard me sitting at the table and the big screen and they would swap back and forth between them uh but uh it was the 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 deck of cards that i did unshuffled with i did unshuffled in chinese characters Mm -hmm. and so on uh, you know, it was 40, 50 feet across, you know, it was, and they could see it. Yeah. And they'd react. And, you know, you have 2,500 people going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> you know, at, the, at the same time, whenever the eight of hearts in Chinese characters appeared on the side of the deck and um, the big cups and balls and, and stuff. So that translated beautifully. I, you know, now I haven't been able to, not that I shouldn't say I haven't been able to, I haven't approached anybody. Sure. But, that what I was doing in China could work in any of these casinos here, uh, and uh, work very very well. Okay, and uh, with the strong impact with a large screen, you know, it wouldn't have to be seventy foot across, but that's what they were. The stage over there was very large. The stage I measured a couple of them from the wall to the wall of the the, the stage. The stage was very big all the way across, and then you have the wings, the stage, and if you go all the way to the wall, it was a football field. Oh, wow. 100, 100 foot, yards. 100 yards. 100 wow. yards, yeah. Or 100, yeah, 100 foot. 100 yards, 300 feet. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 300 feet. We measured 300 feet, boom. And some of the stages from the front of the stage all the way to the back of the wall, back wall of the stage, another 300 feet. That's a gigantic stage. They're huge. They're huge. <laughs> they were huge. And, uh, yeah, they're big. Wow. And we were doing cow. close-up on them. That's amazing. And it, and it worked. You know, it worked. Um but uh, so I'd love to, you know, that'd be fun to do, and uh, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how. You know, <laughs> I guess you have to get the right person. I think you'd have to get the right producer, the right person to see it and say, ah, yeah. You know, have the vision and say, yeah, that could work. We could, you know, we could sell tickets to a show that would. But the but the show would have to have original material. I mean, I would think it would. It wouldn't be. It could be somebody going on doing, you know, standard the the greatest hits. We'll say, yep. you know. Uh, because I think there's that that happens a lot in not necessarily Vegas, I guess, but just in performers uh, in general. Sure, there are magicians. They're not. They do the greatest hits. Uh, what the bowling ball appears in the snowstorm, and yep. you know, they're all great tricks. Sure. Problem is, they're all great tricks that everyone has everyone done. can be is out there doing, or others have seen. And uh, and if you're, as I point out, sometimes the people. If you're if you're a young guy and you are getting shows with magic that involves the greatest hits, that's fine because some of the reason you're getting those shows is not necessarily the material. It's because you're a good-looking young guy and you're hip and you're cool and you're you know, you, you look cool on stage and so on, and that's fine. But 20, 30 years from now, you're not going to be the young guy. You're going to be an older guy. Who's doing the same magic as everyone else, and so that's the unique thing about Penn and Teller. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, Teller, I don't think he's ever done a trick that he hasn't created. 
I mean, I, I was trying to think of that this morning. You know, is there is there anything he does in his show that's somebody else is really? I mean, it's all like original material, or yeah. if it's not 100% original material, he's taken it and changed and it to become original material. Absolutely, and it's creative, and that's why they're still here. If they were doing the greatest hits, I can guarantee you, Penn and Teller would not be at the Rio right now. Yeah. Uh, not 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 at not at the their age not that i'm saying they're old but you know they're, they're my they're you know around my age and so on like that they they wouldn't have survived all those years you know people coming back to their show because like they said in the show and they're very proud of that you know hey you know you meant pen mentions that in the show we we work to change the show it's continually evolving they do five shows a week because that gives them time to create yeah so it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, the last time was my first time seeing the show, and it was incredible. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah, and, and if you had seen it when I saw it, which was um, maybe a year ago, I saw it, there was you know forty percent of it was new in the show. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy the wealth of material. Those guys are brilliant. I mean, it's just amazing what they mm-hmm. what they do, and I mean, Teller. Gosh, I like I, I. My girlfriend was with me last night, and I was I started like shaking when he brought out that fishbowl because I was like, "This is my favorite yeah. piece of magic. Yeah. It's so beautiful." Yeah, um, I got so excited to see it. So mm-hmm. I'm glad I got to. But um, it's it's almost eleven twenty. Are you are you good, or do you want to um, a few see. more minutes? Let me see. Yeah, we do a few more. I'll Danny. Yeah, go ahead. We'll do a few more. Yeah. Okay. Um, what what passions outside of magic do you have? I mean, I, I love video and film editing and so on like that. I mean, I've, I've been doing a good bit of that with, but it's usually related on some level to magic. Well, that was, that's so the like second that. part of the question, so we'll get to that. Because mm-hmm. I was going to say, and then how does that affect your magic? Yeah, but um, but yeah, video filming. I mean, I, I, I do some skiing. I like to ski. Billy's my son's out in Denver, so you know I'll go out there. And have, although I haven't done as much skiing in the last few years, and things on that line. Um, Fairly avid reader movies. Where Kathy and I are real big movie buffs. Really, we see pretty much everything. All the stuff, a lot of stuff coming out. And usually, when you know the awards are on TV, we've pretty much seen everything that you know that's uh, being nominated and so on. What's some of the? Uh, what's some of your favorite stuff that's been recent-ish? Some of the recent ones. I'm trying to think. Uh, the uh, what was the. I mean, the Star Trek was fun. Mm-hmm. It was it was interesting, but the uh, I'm blanking on which ones. I, I'm not good at remembering all the different names. So I'm like, <laughs> That's that. fine, really especially if you're saying all of them. Yeah, we're, we're, we're always yeah, we're always going to there's the Merle Streep one that, that was recent, uh, but I'm I'm blanking on that. Yeah, <laughs> but we've been the yeah we've been going. I think I think the the way that cinema affects magic. I mean, of course, going back to the history of film and all that is obvious, but I mean, just still coming and looking at it now, there's something so beautiful about really great films that light up this part of your brain that just, you know, really churn up this creativity that I think when you look at a film that's moving and that's impactful and you can analyze it and say, you know, this is this is why the director did this in this shot and this is why you know the color scale is like this you start to think about this composition and then you can change you know a little aspect of your magic trick or you know, mm-hmm. an aspect of your choreography that can then open up this whole new area of effect in the audience's mind mm-hmm. 
does that is that something that that influences your creativity or your routine? Yeah, I mean, I try to look at it from you know sort of like a director's eye a little bit, you know, and why they're doing what they're doing, and uh, try to figure out how to you know incorporate some of those elements into into a magic trick. I mean, like the you know, like I, I love like the. The Vermeer, the, the thing that Penn and Teller put out on the Vermeer masterpiece. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, that uh, was fascinating that he did, you know, that they saw that and that they, they, that they were willing to put the money and the effort into producing it. But, Tim's yeah. Vermeer. Is that Tim's Vermeer? Tim's yeah, Vermeer. Yeah, okay, yeah. I was trying to think. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. But, uh, but yeah, so I uh, enjoyed that, though. That's great. Um, let me see. Let me take a look at the the list. Oh God, my my, I put a star beside these couple of things. And if we mm-hmm. can't, if we don't have time to talk about it, that's fine. Yeah, um, I'd I'll love to. No, just I'll here. I'll hang on a second here. Let me just go ahead. I wanted to ask about the Tonight Show and Carson. Oh, yeah. Carson is one of my heroes. Mm-hmm. I grew up watching Letterman, and Letterman affected me so profoundly. And then when I got old enough to, um, you know, figure out that that whole. Letterman, Leno, Carson mm-hmm. thing that happened, and yeah. then learn about more about about mm-hmm. Johnny. I just like became obsessed with him and his mm-hmm. Tonight Show, and I yeah. wanted to ask what what it was like performing on the Tonight Show several times. Yeah, Johnny's was was special, uh, no question about it. My my father was a big Johnny Carson fan. Uh, unfortunately, my dad died. Boy, when I was sixteen, when I was getting into magic and so on, like that. But I always remember him. You know, I would get to stay up late to watch Carson a little bit. And then when he, I remember him having different magicians on. I remember seeing Mike. Well, I saw Mike Skinner on, but that was later. I saw the magicians I saw on Tonight Show early. Then before I knew they were magician, or I was a magician as much. Was Albert Goshman? Remember seeing his act? Remember that sponge balls and the salt shakers, and uh, Don Allen. I saw them. Remember seeing them on Carson, but uh, yes, Carson came about in a weird way uh, because what I did was uh, I had heard. You know, I was always wanted to be on Carson. I mean, my, my sister tells me, you know, she remembers at age sixteen. I told her I'm going to be on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson someday. You know, and that was you know years before it happened. Uh, but she always remembered that. She says, "You ended up doing it." I <laughs> and she was she's a lawyer and. Uh, uh, she tells that story, but and I don't even remember saying that there, but I guess I did. Um, but I had heard that uh, I had heard that he was going to retire, and um, I he was going to retire. And I think it was in five years. He had just signed a contract again for five more years or something, or three more years, whatever. But he was going to retire, and uh, in the next few years, next three years, I think it was. And, and I, I wanted to say, I said, you know, I would love to be on the show, but more than that, I would love to have tried to be on the show. In other words, I didn't want him to retire and then say, well, I didn't get on, but I never even tried. So I figured I'd try. And I had just finished doing a thing on That's Incredible. It was probably 84, 85 or whatever it was. And so I had videotape of me doing uh, Cups and Balls and, uh, and a version of The Ring on the Hourglass on That's Incredible, a TV show on ABC. And so I sent that out to the Tonight Show, and you know I figured I didn't have anything to lose. I'd treat it like a sales call, and I phoned up and said, you know, I'm just checking on see if you got my videotape. And you know, initially the response was, okay, yes, uh, you, you, we get five thousand videotapes a week. Uh, <laughs> we'll call you if we're interested. Thank you very much. Click, you know, and so I figured 
I didn't have anything to lose. I called back each week, you know. Hi, Paul Gardner, magician. You know, I sent in a video. I'm just seeing if you saw the video. Yeah, we'll, we'll call you if we see it and so on like that thing. And I became, I guess, a little bit of a pest in the sense that, I, you know, three, four, or five weeks later, I make my call to Carson's place. And then all of a sudden I got the, oh, yeah, you're the magician. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we, we did. We looked at your tape. You're very good. Yeah, we, but um, we'll, you know, Johnny makes all the decisions on anything to do with magic on the show. So, uh, you know, if we show it to him and he likes it, we'll let you know. <laughs> Next week, you know, just see it. Johnny, you saw me. You know, <laughs> and, um, and then I got the, yeah, actually, um, we, uh, we, we, we gave that tape to Johnny. He's going to take a look at it and so on. Or I, I, at some point, they were, I think the, the producer, I know I got the producer and uh, Jim McCauley. And, uh, and he says, look, he says, um, Carson saw your tape this week. And he came back in the office raving about it. He really, really liked it. He said, you're very good. And then he said, but that's all I can do. He says, uh, I, you know, Johnny makes all the decisions. If it's a magician, it's his call. And uh, so it's not my call. And uh, so I got off and I was saying, oh, I'm, I'm at a roadblock here. What do I do? And my wife said, I, I said that my wife, I, said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to send him a letter and tell him I'd love to be on the show. And I'm going to send him a personal letter to say, yeah. But, and she said, oh, I don't think you ought to do that. <laughs> and she says, I said, why? And she said, well, he knows what Johnny knows you want to be on the show. The question is, what's Johnny want? And I says, what do you mean? She said, well, didn't, didn't Macaulay, didn't his producer say that he, the talent coordinator, say he was working on magic and he liked your coin tricks? He was talking about your coin tricks. I said, yeah. She says, send him a letter and talk to him like a magician. Talk to him about coin tricks. Don't say you want to be on the show. Just talk to him like a magician. So I did. I sent a letter, basically said, you know, and you noticed I was doing an edge grip with multiple drop-offs on, you know, one coin at a time under the cards, but that's ridiculous. It's really cool routine and so on like that. And, and I talked technical stuff with him. Yeah. Most of it probably was over his head. It wasn't coin stuff he did necessarily or whatever, but I just treated him like a magician. And uh, I sent a letter, FedExed it out to the talent coordinator, called him up day it got there says hey did you get my letter for Johnny he says yeah yeah he says I looked it over he said nice letter he says I'll give it to Johnny in our meeting and, and about three hours later I get a phone call hello Mr. Gertner please hold for Johnny Carson I would have died I, yeah, just would have died. It was, I was in a hotel I was in a hotel somewhere and, and I'm trying to think how yeah I think I had left my number with somehow or another I, I get this call in a hotel room and uh, and so I he got on and he says Paul he says hey hey I looked at your tape man he says beautiful stuff you know you're doing really good stuff he says it's I'm really impressed and um, he says I can't a coin thing he says I can't do edge grips he says I don't I've never played with the edge I can finger palm a coin he says but the, he says I can't multiple palm six coins and <laughs> drop them off one at a time but you're doing beautiful didn't I didn't know what you were doing and uh, we talked for a little bit and at, and, uh, and at the end he says hey he says um, you know he says yeah, we, we got to get you out here he says uh, you know when are you, you going to be in LA anytime and, and uh, I said well actually you know I'll be there in about two three weeks or whatever for a trade show in Orange County he said well I'll tell you what he says um, if you got some time uh, give me a call when you get out here he says and we'll get together didn't know what he meant and so I called him three weeks later he gave me his home number and he answered on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, says, "Hey, you know, he told me to call him when I was coming, and 
He said, yeah, yeah, no. He says, so, yeah, uh, so what, what's your plans? Or what, you got anything going on? Or I said, well, no, I got to go to the trade show later today, but I'm just at the airport, you know. And uh, he said, oh, well, want to come out the house? And, okay. <laughs> so he gave me directions to Malibu, his house in Malibu. And, and I took down the directions and I got off the phone. And I had already rented a car from some company, a little, a small little compact or whatever I had. And, uh, and, and I went back to the counter and I, I said to the guy, I said, I need to get a map. You know, I said, I got direction, I got to get here. He says, where are you going to Mal- Malibu? Where are you going Malibu? That's, you know, nice area or whatever. I said, well, I'm, I'm actually going to Johnny Carson's house and he's, that's his address, that's Johnny Carson's address. And the guy behind the counter, you know, it was Hertz or whatever it was. He said, what, what, you're you in our car? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, what, what, give me your key. What, what? You're not going to the car. You got any cars in house in this? Get this guy a get this guy an upgrade. You know, he gave you a Cadillac. You know, he said, you're going to Johnny Carson's house. You're going to a Cadillac. You know, so, so he gave me a free upgrade. But uh, but yeah, I drove up there and drove to Carson and spent about three hours at his house, and uh, and then uh, at the end of it, we did magic back and forth, and you know, he talked about the magicians on the show and. And he, I showed him a few things. I was I tell him actually coins across the familiar ring trick I do with the shell. He liked that. He, he actually he eventually used that. He learned that. And uh, and then at the end he says, Hey, he says, Paul, he says, We gotta we're gonna, we gotta I'll have my people give you a call. We'll get you out here on the show. And two weeks later, I was on the show for the first time. Yeah. So so it happened fast. <laughs> oh God, it's so yeah. amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. So, so it was fun. But it was a it was nerve wracking to do the show. But it was I was pretty calm with it and everything worked real well yeah yeah it all it all clicked and he he came out and did rehearsals with me mm-hmm. he didn't do that with everybody they said that were very weird to have johnny on the set for rehearsals and i was like johnny's on the set johnny's on the set but he wanted to make sure the magic looked good and uh he wanted to make sure the angles were right and you know i said this box is a little low could i get this higher boom you know immediately the box was being raised two and a half inches because mm-hmm. i wanted it and stuff and yeah so but he was really gracious and yeah and i did the show two more times i was the last guy on the last magician on the show with him he called one more time right before he retired amazing yeah so that's so cool uh, I'm, that's so awesome I'm yeah. just like <laughs> imagining I love yeah I love watching yeah, he was very good to me I mean I got letters from him over the years you know I'd send him a note if I saw something that you know was related to magic and, but he actually then he wrote the introduction to my book too you know I sent him a fax I sent him a letter and and um, asking him about writing a letter and so on and this was before internet so it was more faxes were going back and forth and I had his he said, oh, give me your fax number. And, you know, he, he called to say, hey, I got your letter. Yeah, I'd be happy to write an introduction to your book. You know, um, give me your fax number. And li- literally within two hours, two, three hours later, on the fax machine, there's an introduction from Johnny Carson. You know, he just oh, sat wow. down and wrote it. That's just so sat cool. down and whipped it off. And uh, so, yeah, but he, would, uh, he, was, he was good. And uh, I got one of his props from his childhood magic thing a while back his uncle or his cousin nephew who was dispersing his magic collection and he did it by giving a little prop from his childhood magic kit to all the magicians that were on the show you know harry anderson and all the different guys everybody got something and mike caveney helped that happen you know because he 
put together the list of all the magicians that were on the show and we got a nice little letter from him saying it's this is yours and from Johnny's childhood magic kit and so on. That's incredible. So, yeah, so it's kind of fun. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh man, that's so cool. Um, there's a, another thing is uh, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was was and still am a huge Mr. Mm-hmm. Rogers fan. Right. What was that? What was that like? Uh, now he was filmed in Pittsburgh, so that's how I ended up on that show. And um, and that was fun. Fred was exactly the way he was on TV. He was, you know, talking to you, and he was talking to you. You know, he made you feel special no matter what. <laughs> and uh, But uh, that was an early show for me. That was probably, that was before The Tonight Show and all that. Yeah, yeah. And I was, they, they I had a beautiful new set of cups <laughs> from Rings and Things. Expensive set of cups from Rings and Things. And... Uh, director on the show looked in and says, you know, those are glare and glass. Can we doll those down? I, hey, you know, do, do whatever you want. I didn't know dulling them down meant hitting them with some kind of spray, which corroded the cups for oh, it was, no. it destroyed them. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I never, never did have a, <laughs> never did. That was my last rings and things, cups. But um, but they did, they dulled those down. But I did the cups and balls on it, and I did a couple other, the trick with a stick. And um, they wanted, the idea of that show, they wanted to show, um, they wanted to show that um, uh, when someone got divorced, they did not um, disappear. And that was the idea of showing that if something coin disappears, it really doesn't disappear. If your dad is no longer in the picture, okay, because your mom and dad got divorced, he really didn't disappear. He's still there. He just isn't there all the time. Okay. Yeah. And that was the that was they were doing a show basically using magic to talk about divorce <laughs> that's wow. what they were doing and um, so we did a trick where I banished something and, and, and I taught him the secret to it and he was able to show them that the, you know basically giving away a little bit of the secret with the sponge ball was still there but it's really hidden over here and so on and um, but on that show I did a trick with a stick and a little poem and the trick with a stick that disappears and so on and he was standing beside me and the stick was made of, at the time, was a steel rod. And uh, and as I flipped it around from my back uh, beside me, it smashed into his wrist oh. really hard. You know, you can see him on TV kind of flinch and grab it and rub and sort of <laughs> smile and so on. And um, so I, we, I wove that storyline about doing this trick on Mr. Rogers and watch his wrist really quick. And, and, and did you see it? I smacked him, I nailed him really hard. And I tell the story about my daughter seeing that video for the first time at age two. And, you know, in the theater show, Ten Fingers, I just said, my, you know, two-year-old daughter watched me assault Mr. Rogers. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but it was a fun show to do. And, uh, and I had long hair and a leisure suit, a gray suede leisure suit. And, yeah, it was all kind of pretty, pretty era dated <laughs> you know but I have the tape the tape is actually on one of my uh, I got permission to put it on one of my DVDs Magic the Steel and Silver Live that has some live footage and yeah Mr. Rogers is on there <laughs> that's know? incredible yeah so it's really funny what so what are you what what are your aspirations now what what is it that you 
No. You've done The Tonight Show. You've done uh, Mr. Rogers. Yeah. What else is there? I don't know. You <laughs> fooled Penn and Teller. Yeah, yeah Teller said, he, he said, oh, we want you to come back next year and do something else. Fool us again, because he, he was very nice last night. I, I got a chance to show him the work on the stuff, and he was very complimentary. He said, you know, lovely construction. He says, this is what we're looking for. He says, and he says it's, it's kind of hard to find. He says, we love to be fooled. Really fooled, not really just, fooled, not, not knowing just how fooled the method is working. Where right. you know we say it's probably this method, and they say, "Oh no, I actually did this and this," and it's kind of just a technicality shell game, a yeah. technique. You know, yeah. He loved it. He says we we absolutely love. He said we were you know so blown away and had no clue, and it was new. And I told him, I said that was my goal of that show. It wasn't. I didn't want to come on and and do the red herring, try to get you to guess here, and then do this. Now I wanted to fool you just as badly as you were fooled first time you saw and shuffled. And I and he said well, you did. You know you added that little element. No clue, not an idea. But anyway, is it be fun to go back on there again and do? I'd love to do the cups and do something with that. Oh. Oh, yeah. Now that'd be tricky, and I've got a few ideas uh, <laughs> of what could be done. I'm so uh, excited, but it would have to be it would have to be done right, and uh, and I, I have a few ideas. And, but anyway, no, I, right now what I'd love to do, and I'm working on it, is is do a small little intimate magic show similar to like Steve Cohen has done in New York, but to do that up in the Boston area and uh, at a at a nice hotel, and just uh, you know try to test that out and see if I could get some legs going there and some you know just to, i i would like to you know I, I the the larger theater shows are interesting and so on like that but i'm not you know i for me i'd be just as happy with a, a show that had you know 25 30 40 people just up close and uh, and you know do that once a month or two times a month or something like that and kind of build some marketing traction with that using social media and stuff that's you know one thing I, I, I'd really love to do, and I I think I'm in a good area for it, and uh, so yeah, and the Penn and Teller thing could help maybe make that happen. You know, sure, yeah. Show them that you know hundreds of thousands of people have seen this trick, and it might make a hotel willing to give a shot and give you a try to because something like that takes time. Of course, it takes six months to a year to even get traction, so they even know you're there. But now if you can do that, then then it could work. And the ball's rolling, yeah. Yeah, once it gets going. Once it gets going. So, you know, it's kind of working that. But, I'm, you know, I'm still doing the trade shows because they're for me they're easy. and um, But I'm not doing as many as I used to do. I'm not taking every single one. But, uh, but yeah, sort of playing with the grandkids a little more. <laughs> yeah, having fun with that. Well, that's great. So, so. Well, thank you so much, Paul. I really appreciate you You're taking welcome. the time to do sure. this. Sure, sure. It's such a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank All right. you. Thank you again. Okay, sure thing. <laughs>